Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good evening and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Well, this week on Monday, we commemorated and observed the 78th anniversary of the D-Day landings. Uh, there, of course, was an observance at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., with a few World War II veterans in attendance. Each year, of course, it becomes fewer and fewer as that greatest generation is passing away. But uh, Senator Portman also went to the U.S. Senate floor with a floor speech, and we're going to hear that in just a few minutes. We were down there in Washington, D.C., in observance of the June 6th uh, D-Day observance at the World War II Memorial. We had the opportunity also to be interviewed uh, by Fox News and Friends in the Morning with Brian Kilmey. Let's go to that right now. All right, we are marking 78 years since the invasion of Normandy, the beginning of the end of World War II, and one man is leading the effort to ensure a piece of that day is forever cemented in our minds. And the World War II Museum in D.C., by the way, a memorial there, too. That's where our next guest joins us now, Chris Long of D-Day Prayer Group and the Ohio Christian Alliance. Okay, uh, thanks for joining me, Chris. First off, what did you decide in 2011 to do? You know, I woke up one morning and I said to my wife, I've got an idea about adding FDR's D-Day prayer at the World War II Memorial. I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to ask Congressman Bill Johnson of Ohio's 6th District to offer the legislation. He was thrilled and it was followed up by Senator Rob Portman, who entered, entered the legislation in the Senate. And it ended up passing in 2014 by unanimous consent in the U.S. Senate on the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings, that's S-1044, the World War II Memorial Prayer Act, and then began the design and placement and fundraising phase because it has to be paid for with private donations, not by public funds right. or tax dollars. And so that's what we've been doing all this time. Chris, explain and, to me uh, the history of that. Could explain to me the history of that prayer. Oh, well, you know, this is the prayer that FDR prayed on the morning of the D-Day landings. Actually, that evening at 9.57 p.m., he went to the airwaves and he uh, asked the nation to join with him in prayer. So we were D-Day plus one in Europe. And uh, he references that last night when I came to you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment that even a greater operation was underway. And it is met with success thus far. And I ask you that you join with me in prayer as they have crossed the channel. Now, he didn't say where. He didn't mention Normandy because Hitler was still of the belief that the main force was going to land at Palakale. And that was, of course, the ruse because General Patton and the fictitious divisions they put around him in England, they, they thought, the Germans thought that he was going to lead the invasion. But obviously, Operation Overlord was unfolding uh, on the beaches and in the landings of um, uh, of Normandy, uh, Normandy in France, and that's why the president right. asked us to join with him in prayer. It's so a wonderful had, prayer, 525 words that will be added here. All right, so Chris, here's, uh, here's an excerpt from it. It says, Why thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace of vulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men. Chris, when can we see that behind you permanently? 
That's right. Behind me is the temporary prayer plaque that uh, we dedicated three years ago as kind of a placeholder as the circle remembrance here is due for a major upgrade. Working with the friends of the World War II Memorial and the U.S. Park Service, uh, the prayer will be begin construction next month in July, and then uh, it will be completed in early December is what the contractor is saying. So the major announcement is construction will begin next month, and we're very delighted about that. And it's all because you decided to do something about it, and you even said at one point to you, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it, and you did it. Uh, Chris Long, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. And that was the report uh, yesterday, early morning, before the 10 o'clock observance of the D-Day observance at the World War II Memorial, where the veterans lay the wreaths at the Atlantic Arch. Well, that is the good news, is that the construction will begin in just a few weeks at the World War II Memorial, and they expect to be completed uh, later this year, late November, December, and we'll keep you posted on that. Also, Senator Portman went to the floor, and it will probably be his last time as a U.S. Senator on June 6th. Uh, and he, of course, has been committed to this project from the beginning, and we appreciate the senator's support and uh, stick to on this uh, to see this project through with us. It's been great to work with him and his office through the years, and we're going to finally see this done. Here's Senator Portman on the floor of the U.S. Senate as he reads the D-Day prayer. Mr. President, today is a very important day in American history, June 6th, the anniversary of D-Day. One of the most important and consequential battles of World War II occurred on that day. Every year I have served in this body, I've made it a practice of coming to the floor and reciting the famous D-Day prayer that Franklin D. Roosevelt delivered to the nation on the morning of June 6, 1944. It was a consequential battle in the sense that it really marked the beginning of the end of World War II, the beginning of the end of Hitler. It is my favorite presidential statement. 78 years ago, as the American people slept in their beds, the greatest naval invasion in history began, and the greatest generation was born. On that fateful day, tens of thousands of American soldiers, sailors, and airmen joined allies from around the free world to begin what General Eisenhower called the Great Crusade, one that sought to free a continent and liberate millions from the grip of tyranny. They came by amphibious landing craft, by gliders laden with men and material, by parachutes deployed deep behind enemy lines, and on the beaches called places like Omaha and Utah, the cliffs of Pointe Hoc, they struck a mortal blow to the Nazi regime. Thousands would give their lives for this cause, over 2,500 Americans alone. Like many in this chamber, I've seen the American cemeteries there, the rows of white crosses and the stars of David that go on and on a stark reminder of the price those brave heroes paid for all of us. These men did not go into battle alone. As General Eisenhower said to the Allied Expeditionary Force on the eve of this risky battle, the hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. As the battle was engaged, President Franklin Roosevelt spoke to the nation. He did not choose to address the American people with one of his trademark fireside chats nor did he choose to use a speech. Instead, he delivered words of prayer by radio address as the fate of Europe, and indeed the entire free world, hung in the balance. It's a powerful prayer that transcended all faiths. I think it captures, perhaps better than anything else I've ever seen, what we as Americans should be most proud of. We are liberators, not conquerors. And it also talks about the righteousness of that cause. 
This prayer must never be forgotten. And that's why I come to the floor, and that's why I'd like to recite it now. This is what he said. My fellow Americans, last night when I spoke to you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment that troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and yet greater operation. It has come to pass with success thus far. And so in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true, give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard, for the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day without rest until victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of prayer, but because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer. As we rise each new day, and again, when each day is spent, let the words of prayer be on our lips, invoking thy help to our efforts. Give us strength, too, strength in our daily tasks, to redouble the contributions we make in the physical and material support of our armed forces, and let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travail, to bear sorrows that may come, to impart our courage unto our sons wheresoever they may be. And, O Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of our spirit ever be dulled. Let not the impacts of temporary events of temporal matters, of but fleeting moment, let not these deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With thy blessing, we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all of men live in freedom reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Yes, amen. What a powerful statement. One that deserves to be remembered for generations to come. By the way, to ensure its place in history, back in 2013, shortly after I was elected to this body, I introduced legislation called the World War II Memorial Prayer Act with former Senator Mary Landrieu, and then, after her, Senator Joe Lieberman.
Representative Bill Johnson took the lead in the House of Representatives. This was legislation that directed the Secretary of the Interior to install a plaque at or near the World War II Memorial on the National Mall here in Washington with these words, the words of FDR's D-Day prayer. And we said no federal funding would be used for this. We would raise the money privately. It was the Ohio Christian Alliance President, Chris Long, who first came to me with the idea of a plaque displaying this historic prayer. Since that legislation was signed into law in 2014, which kicked off the lengthy Commemorative Works Act process for citing and installing a plaque at the memorial, the friends of the National World War II Memorial and the National Park Service have worked to develop and refine the final plaque design and receive a variety of approvals from the National Park Service, the Commission of Fine Arts, the National Capital Planning Commission, and others. In the meantime, we have gone ahead with a beautiful temporary plaque that has been in place since 2019 and what's called the Circle of Remembrance, which is just north of the World War II Memorial. So if you're here in Washington, go to the mall, see the World War II Memorial, which is spectacular, then look to the north and go to the Circle of Remembrance, and you'll see the prayer on display there. By the way, it's the only prayer on display on the National Mall. We hope that the final version of this plaque and the Circle of Remembrance being remodeled will be done by the end of this year. The process has been going on for eight years, longer than World War II itself, actually, so we're eager to see that final plaque installed, and I know it will be. The temporary plaque, by the way, was generously donated to the Friends of the National World War II Memorial with the help of John Now from Texas, Houston, Texas, a great patriot, and also the Ohio Christian Alliance and others who have provided funding for this. In October 2020, the Lilly Foundation, the Lilly Endowment, provided a $2 million grant for the construction and installation of the final plaque. And it's this committed financial support that will allow the project to get across the finish line, even with some hurdles. So I thank the Lilly Endowment for their support. I also want to recognize the tireless efforts of the Friends Group, especially Holly Rotundi, who has led the effort in fundraising and coordinating the project over the past several years. Thank you, Holly. D-Day was a day of tremendous loss and also monumental triumph. Those who lost their lives that day did not die in vain. The fate of the free world rested on their shoulders. Those brave young men, many Americans, charging the beaches of Normandy. And President Roosevelt's prayer that day helped to comfort a nation in a time of great uncertainty. I'm glad that his words will soon take their proper place in our memorial to the war that changed the course of history. Thank you, Mr. President. I yield the floor. That was Senator Portman on the U.S. Senate floor earlier this week. Well, of course, on this program, we are observing uh, the D-Day prayer and, of course, its installation as a permanent uh, display on the Mall in Washington at the Circle Remembrance just beyond the Atlantic Arch outside uh, uh, and next to the World War II Memorial. And, of course, construction begins in July. And then later this year, we'll have the uh, uh, completion of the prayer, and we'll be talking to you about some tours to Washington with our good friend Bill Fetter, who will be on the second part of today's program. You want to hang around for that. And uh, Bill will be telling us about uh, the defeat of Nazi Germany and the the faith of FDR and, of course, uh, people praying all over this country. And we really need that at a time right now. There was also an article written by Kerry Byrne, 
and he wrote an article. He was interviewing me on Friday, and I want to read to you from this uh, article that was posted on foxnews.com. It says, D-Day, 78 years later, how FDR's powerful prayer united Americans. President Franklin Roosevelt trumpeted America's foundation of faith to inspire the nation in its finest hour, D-Day, June 6, 1944. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. FDR said resolutely on D-Day, leading a prayer that crackled over the radio coast to coast and to service members on occupied nations around the globe. Now, 78 years later, some Americans believe that this stirring call to spiritual arms can unite the nation once again and pay tribute to the sacrifice and commitment of our military and veterans. FDR's prayers seem to bring everybody together, said Chris Long of Akron, Ohio, leader of the D-Day Prayer Project, which aims to permanently install the D-Day Prayer uh, in D.C. We hope it w- will speak to generations to come. Uh, World War, and then uh, it talks about the construction being uh, started in July. Uh, Long said, uh, heads the Christian Alliance of America, launched the effort 11 years ago, and to get the rousing text of Roosevelt's prayer, all 525 words, and engraved in perpetuity, perpetuity excuse me, at the National Memorial. Now, this article can be found on our website, Ohio Christian Alliance. Also, our uh, you want to go to ddayprayerproject.org, and you want to keep that in your uh, browser so you can go there for updates over the next couple of months, okay, as we talk about the dedication uh, ceremony. And, of course, uh, on Veterans Day, whether the prayer uh, may not be done by then, but we're planning a trip to D.C. on Veterans Day. And if you've never been to Washington, D.C. on Veterans Day, it's a wonderful time to be there as tens of thousands of veterans come from all across the country, uh, there's an observance first at the World War II Memorial in the morning, followed by one in the early afternoon about 1 p.m. at the Vietnam War Memorial. Uh, there's festivities over there at the Lincoln Memorial. And then there's also an observance at the Korean War Memorial. So it, you just kind of run around the mall there uh, and where the different war memorials are, and it's a wonderful day to be uh, on the mall, thanking veterans and their families, and I'll tell you, it's just been a great time. Well, we're planning a trip to Washington, and we'll have information on our website at ohioca.org, and uh, we'll have, of course, uh, uh, there'll be time opportunity to book a hotel room. Uh, you might have to uh, pay for your own travel to Washington, uh, but uh, we'll have special rates for hotel rooms and then a, a charter bus that will take us down to the mall. And uh, so it's, I just walked it yesterday, so it's about a three-and-a-half-mile walk uh, to go each of the war memorials as uh, we, you know, so it's kind of a dry run to see how this would be for folks. So we'll, we'll get all that to you, because I know that people have been asking about coming to Washington, uh, one, for the prayer's dedication, but we might have to plan this for November, because they're telling us that 
the completion may carry over through November into early December. And, of course, so we'd like to have something uh, where we uh, get veterans and groups down there in observance of the prayers edition. So it will be almost completed, I think. And you never know. They may do. They may finish early. So we'll see. We'll get you up to date on all of that. And, again, a couple of websites you want to follow, ddayprayerproject.org, of course, the Ohio Christian Alliance, and our national website, Christian Alliance of America. You're going to be hearing more about that as we'll be doing some national things with Christian Alliance of America. And, of course, that's what was referenced uh, in the piece and also in the article uh, in foxnews.com. We appreciate uh, the um, reporters who took time to observe all this. And why is this all important? Well, it's about the next generation, right? And uh, we lament that uh, there are young people that know nothing about this. Well, that's what this is all about. Uh, This is about installing the prayer. When the the school groups come, these kids get a chance to actually read the prayer aloud, because it's actually a prayer speech. It's actually uh, estimated that over 100 million people worldwide over the broadcast channel heard FDR as he went to the airwaves that night and led the nation in prayer, but the BBC picked it up and broadcast it into Europe, and so they also uh, were aware of uh, the prayer and, of course, that the invasion had taken place. And so uh, a lot was still unknown, and uh, it was still a very risky affair as they were trying to break out of Normandy, and it would take them a month Uh, And they wouldn't get uh, to liberate uh, Paris until August. And then, of course, as they handed into the fall months, uh, there was Operation Market Garden. Uh, The British commander, Montgomery, thought that this would be a way to get into Germany. Uh, It it met with some success, but they weren't able to get over the Rhine. It would have to happen in another way. And then, of course, Hitler had his own uh, winter offensive, which was the Battle of the Bulge. And, of course, uh, what we learn about... uh, the uh, major German winter offensive, which is the Battle of Bulge, and of course uh, the uh, the Battle in the Ardennes, uh, which my my uncle fought in. We also saw Harry Miller yesterday, who was in the Battle of the Bulge, and of course we we think of Bastogne, with the 101st Airborne uh, there encircled by the German troops, and they hang on they hung on until Patton was able to. Uh, rescue them uh, just, uh, I think it was on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, he was able to break through to them uh, by driving uh, the Third Army to the north. And so all of this played out in Europe, and then eventually uh, the uh, Hitler kills himself, and then the uh, German forces surrender it was the end of World War II in Germany. But, of course, we'd still have uh, the uh, Pacific Campaign, which my father fought in, the Battle of Okinawa, and, of course, uh, the last uh, stages of World War II in the Pacific with the dropping of the atom bomb and uh, the Japanese surrender. Well, this is uh, all of our history, and we need our young people to learn about it. And so this prayer is a way for them to understand that, and I love this line in uh, the, the prayer itself, they fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. The D-Day prayer, it's on our website, Ohio Christian Alliance, ddayprayerproject.org, and caamerica.org. That's Christian Alliance of America. 
You can read the prayer and actually hear it. And so uh, thank you for joining us today. Stick around. On the other side, we're going to be talking to Bill Fetter of the American Minute. And uh, this this uh, friend of ours is actually who helped to inspire all this as he keeps history alive with the American Minute. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the other side with our good friend, Bill Fetter. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Okay, we're back, and with us on the phone is our good friend, Bill Fetter. Bill, welcome to the program. Chris, great to be with you. Well, thank you, Bill. Um, Yesterday, of course, we observed the 78th anniversary of D-Day, and we were down in Washington. There was just a handful of uh, veterans there. Uh, You know, each year now it becomes fewer and fewer as they're really up there in age now. There was Harry Miller, who was a veteran of the Ardennes, the Battle of the Bulge, another gentleman who served in the U.S. Navy. Uh, Actually, he stood to the microphone and announced to everybody that he was very excited because uh, he was going to Normandy in the next couple of weeks. He was going to spend uh, about 15 days there in in France, and so he's going to go spend about a week in Normandy and visit some of the cemeteries and all. So uh, even at that advanced stage, this gentleman is very excited about being able to go over there, which is great, right? And then uh, not too long ago, 
Here in Ohio, we celebrated the 101st birthday of Jim Pee Wee Martin. He was the uh, World War II veteran uh, from Southwest Ohio who actually landed in, uh, jumped out in uh, Normandy. Uh, it was with the Airborne Division, the 101st Airborne. So <laughs> Jim Pee Wee Martin, who served in the 101st, is now 101 years old. He's still fine. And uh, they did a celebration for him with flyovers and actually with uh, uh, air jumps uh, down there a few weeks ago in southwest Ohio. My son participated last year as they had reenactors come. And uh, Jonathan, who actually served in the 82nd Airborne in Iraq, uh, actually is now a reenactor. He really enjoys doing that because it teaches people, it teaches young people about our military history, about... Um, uh, those who have served, and he loves doing that. His grandfather, of course, served in the U.S. Navy in the Pacific, and so uh, he really loved his grandfather, and uh, so he, he loves this uh, reenactment. It's a way to teach. Now, the American Minute, of course, uh, years ago, you and I first met in 2006, and uh, I got signed up to the American Minute, and I remember a few years later, uh, on June 6th, I wake up, and here's the American Minute, and it's talking about FDR's D-Day prayer. Well, I really didn't recall much of that from my childhood. In fact, um, I was the third born of a World War II veteran and you know, a child of the 60s, obviously in uh, teens in my 70s. In the 70s, I was in my teens. So we didn't hear really much about uh, you know, World War II and, and uh, D-Day. We knew about it, of course. I mean, there was movies and you know, all that, but uh, you know, the parents didn't talk much about World War II because they were getting on with their lives. Uh, these men all came home to... Uh, thankful that there was peace and they wanted to get to their lives. And not until later did we begin to ask some of them about their service and learn about all that they endured. But all that said, um, I'm, I'm listening to the D-Day prayer, and I thought, well, I Googled it, and then I could hear FDR's voice, and, and it was great. I thought, this is awesome. Then, of course, a few years later, I woke up one morning with the idea and said to Sylvia after uh, Congress was uh, uh, just the new Congress was sworn in. In fact, John Boehner became the Speaker of the House from Ohio, and Bill Johnson was a newly uh, uh, elected uh, congressman. And I said, you know, I'm going to ask Congressman Johnson if he'd offer legislation to add FDR's D-Day prayer at the World War II Memorial. And that's how it all came about. But it started with the inspiration of the American Minute and you, Bill Fetter, and, and the great work that you do to keep history alive. Your thoughts? Well, Chris, uh, thank you for championing this. And it is so vitally important, number one, because it mentions God. And uh, I had relatives that fought in World War II. I lost an uncle. Uh, it wasn't on D-Day, but it was a month later, but it was still part of that Operation Overlord. And he was with them. Uh, B-17, flying over from Kim Bolton Air Base there in Britain and was shot down and was my mom's only brother. And um, So we have to keep this alive. Why? Because if it's not talked about, the next generation knows a little bit about it. The following generation knows nothing about it. And then what happens? It can repeat itself. Because it's only when we know these lessons can be be, be warned. Forewarned is forearmed, and uh, and so for those that are not familiar, you had um, Germany was a republic, the Weimar Republic, and somebody started a political party called the National Socialist Workers Party, and the head of it was Hitler, 
And the party had an under-the-table arm to it, sort of an Antifa BLM type, and they were nicknamed, uh, they were brown shirts, but they were nicknamed Sturm Abteilung, which means stormtroopers, because they would storm into the meetings of Hitler's opponents and disrupt the meeting and shout down the speakers. And then these uh, brown shirts would lock arms and block access to public buildings and public streets. Could you imagine people doing that? And then they went into the cities and they smashed windows and they set on fire over 7,500 stores owned by Jews in the night of broken glass. Crystal Nacht. Oh, and, and then did I mention their capital got set on fire? It was an insurrection. And, and in the confusion, evidence points to Hitler's own people setting the fire. But Hitler took advantage of this and decided to set up a committee to do investigations to interrogate people, to arrest his political opponents, and then have them shot without a trial. And when the dust settled, Hitler didn't have any political opponents left, and Germany transitioned to a republic to a dictatorship. And so this pattern of if you want to be a dictator and usurp, usurp power, you create the attack on the capital and you blame it on your political opponents. And um, so he usurped power. And Hitler transitioned to this dictatorship. And then he decided that he was going to uh, shut down the Jewish businesses and confiscate guns. And uh, the um, uh, S.A. Oberfuhrer of the provisional Bavarian interior said, The deadline for the surrender of weapons will expire on March 31st, 1933. I therefore request immediate surrender of all arms. Whoever does not belong to one of these three units, S-A-S-S or Stammhelm, and keeps his weapons without authorization or hides it, he must be viewed as an enemy of the national government and will be held responsible without hesitation with the utmost severity. And then Heinrich Himmler, the head of the SS, just uh, issued an announcement. Germans who wish to own firearms should join the SS or the SA. Ordinary citizens don't need guns, as their having guns don't serve the state. And then in 1938, uh, there was a suspected homosexual youth who shot a Nazi diplomat in Paris. And this was used as an excuse to panic the whole country of Germany into confiscating firearms from Jews. So the German newspaper printed November 10th, 1938, Jews forbidden to possess weapons by order of SS Reichsführer Himmler. Persons who, according to the Nuremberg Law, uh, are regarded as Jews are forbidden to possess any weapon. Weapons violators will be condemned to concentration camps and imprisoned for a period of 20 years. The New York Times ran the article November 9th, 1938. The Berlin police announced that the entire Jewish population of Berlin has been disarmed with confiscation of 2,569 hand weapons, 1,702 firearms, 20,000 rounds of ammunition. Any Jew still found in possession of weapons without valid licenses are threatened with severe punishment. Hitler wrote in a... Uh, Table Talk is a, a book of his private conversations uh, printed um, in 1941 to 44. He says the most foolish mistake we could possibly make would be to allow the subject races to possess arms. History shows that all conquerors 
who have allowed their subjects' races to carry arms have prepared for their own downfall by doing so. So let's not have any native militia or native police. German troops alone will bear the sole responsibility for the maintenance of law and order. And so here we see this terrible Jewish holocaust, of, but it all uh, had uh, an important ingredient, disarming the population first. We're talking with Bill Fetter. He is the president of American Minute, and you can get the American Minute in your inbox each day, and we'll give you an opportunity to know how to sign up for the American Minute. It's today in American history. We're talking about uh, the D-Day. We're talking about, as we observe, the 78th anniversary this week. Uh, There were, of course, veterans that went over to Normandy, actually uh, on the Norman coast uh, of of France. They still observe with, uh, with reenactments, with uh, uh, different parades and flyovers. And so the folks of uh, France in on the coast, they have not forgotten World War II and the great liberation that took place um, 78 years ago, Bill. They still remember, uh, and I, I suspect for some, a few more years to come. But what our concern is in this country, as you said, uh, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And we're seeing in our schools today a terrible uh, basically elimination of our history. When you talk to some of these young people across the country, from state to state, it varies. In Ohio here, we do have a strong history emphasis, at least it's in legislation, of course, with our founding documents, with the founding of American Documents curriculum that our organization uh, helped to initiate. It's been in place for the last uh, 12 years. And so it's uh, it's required uh, instruction, at least in the 8th through the 12th grade with the Founding American Documents curriculum, followed that by uh, Frank LaRose, our current Secretary of State, pushed for American or world history, and he wanted um, our young people to learn about World War II and so that they, you know, so they would have a, a working knowledge of it. But if you go to some of our campuses today in these universities, Bill, uh, they've actually eliminated, sanitized uh, their classroom from any mention of any of the American principles of our history, and that's where the great concern is. There's a whole generation that has no appreciation for who we are as an American republic, for the freedoms that we enjoy, fighting against tyranny in both World War I and World War II, and yet they've been turned against the country, uh, against our heritage, and, our, and that's why we see the tearing down of monuments. We're working on building a monument. In the last few years, we've seen young people all across the country tearing down monuments. They didn't even know what they were doing. They tore down monuments of Lincoln and of, of Ulysses S. Grant, the Union general who helped uh, win the war for the North against slavery. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, this is part of the deconstruction, which is a socialist tactic to take over countries, where you uh, erase the past and then get the kids into a neutral where they have no clue where they came from, and then you brainwash them into the future you have planned for them. It's sort of a gene replacement therapy for a culture. Take out the old DNA, the old identity, put in the new. Um, But for those not familiar... It was a two-front war. The Pacific, and the turning point in the Pacific was June 4th, 1942, with the Battle of Midway. But the turning point in Europe was D-Day, June 6th, 1944. Uh, for those not familiar, 160,000 uh, American, Britain, Canadian, French, Polish troops landed on a 50-mile stretch of the Normandy coast of France. 
The D-Day orders issued by Dwight Eisenhower, the commanding general, sent to nearly 100,000 Allied troops, says you are about to embark upon a great crusade. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. You will bring about the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. Let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. I just think it's amazing. Here today, uh, they have done the critical race theory. They've purged uh, people with these type of beliefs. But back then, it was common to be able to say that let us beseech the blessings of Almighty God on this. Well, and that's right. Well, in, in fact, uh, in this article that was written the other day by Kerry Byrne in Fox News, and he, he says there was a, uh, a sign outside of uh, Trinity Church in New York City, Invasion Day, come in and pray for Allied victory, hourly intercessions. And there was also over 50,000 people that gathered in Madison Square Garden that day to pray uh, for the troops overseas. You know, prayer was very vital uh, in that generation, Bill. Well, it was, and this was a big deal. Uh, it was the largest seaborne invasion force in world history. It was supported by uh, 13,000 aircraft, 5,000 ships, 195,000 Navy personnel. And they had a, uh, they get let out signals to try to mislead the Nazis where they were going to land. Um, and then there was terrible weather. Now, you're doing a, a landing, and so it has to be ideally at high tide. Um, so that there's a, the shortest amount of uh, beach to have to cross, and the Normandy Beach is quite long, and the weather was bad. And so Eisenhower had to make a risky order to delay the attack 24 hours. Now, why is that risky? Because it could give the Nazis chance to discover it. You have these thousands of ships waiting off the coast, and if they get found out, they could. And so then uh, the paratroopers were dropped, by behind enemy lines to cut off the supply lines. Reagan stated at the 40th anniversary, he says, something else helped the men on D-Day, the rock-hard belief that Providence would have a great hand in the events that would unfold here, that God was an ally in this great cause. And so the night before the invasion, Colonel Wolverton asked his parachute troops to kneel with him in prayer. He told them, do not bow your heads, but look up so you can see God and ask his blessings in what we're about to do. <clears throat> also that night, General Matthew Ridgway on his cot, listening in the darkness for the promise God made to Joshua, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. This is Reagan's speech. Uh, the Army Rangers scaled the cliffs uh, amidst all the machine guns, and uh, uh, Ronald Reagan goes on and describes how these rangers had to climb up while they were being shot at, and then, uh, you know, they'd have to regroup and then keep climbing up these rope ladders, and it was very risky. Then they would get to the top, and then they'd have to fight. Um, uh, so this took a time. After two days of fighting, only 90 of those that parachuted in could still bear arms. And um, But then at 6.30 a.m., Allied forces began landing, uh, at Utah Beach, Point Duhok, Omaha Beach, Gold Beach, Juno Beach, Sword Beach, and the ocean ran red with blood of almost 9,000 killed or wounded. Terrible. In the next two and a half months, over two million soldiers arrived, and they pushed the Nazis back, back, back. They liberated Paris, and then they finally uh, got to uh, Berlin 
and forced the Nazis to surrender. But uh, this was uh, a big turning point uh, on D-Day, and it's important that we remember these courageous men. And as you mentioned, several that you met that are still alive. Um, Because why? Because human nature hasn't changed, and if evil people with their evil globalist plans get the chance, they'll, they'll try to do this again. But being forewarned is forearmed, that if we're aware of this, we can do the best we can to pass on to future generations the blessings of freedom that we inherited. We're talking with Bill Federer of the American Minute. That's AmericanMinute.com. Bill has lots of books, and uh, one I'm looking at here, uh, Bill, that you published some years ago, The Faith of FDR. Uh, I like the way you've broken down this uh, book because you have each of his uh, administrations, his first term, second term, third term. Uh, you have uh, the different broadcasts as he would go to the airwaves, uh, and he would have his fireside chats. Now, during the war, of course, the president went to the airwaves, and he would inform the American Republic about what was going on, and it's a way that he would stay in uh, contact with the American people. But when he went to the airwaves the evening of D-Day, uh, at 9.57 that evening, he, he said, I want you to join with me in prayer. So it was a much different, it wasn't a fireside chat, it was a prayer that he prayed with the nation. It was a mass prayer, over 100 million people worldwide heard it, and uh, people in Europe also, that's the way in which people learned that the invasion of Europe was underway. Now, he didn't reference Normandy in the prayer, uh, because Hitler was still convinced it was going to be at the Palais and the fictitious armies that were built around Patton, as he, uh, you know, they were saying that Patton would, the Germans were convinced that Patton would lead the invasion, he was actually back over in England, uh, later to be uh, dispatched uh, about a month in on um, Operation Overlord and took command of uh, 3rd Army Group and then, of course, did a end round and then, of course, made history, of course. But, uh, you know, all this said, uh, you know, they sought God's guidance and protection against a fight, a fight against this tyranny and to fight against uh, this oppression. And yet we can see our young people glomming on to the same dangerous trends, Bill, in this generation. As you said, you started depicting about um, going into meetings and disrupt, disrupting meetings of your opponents. We see that happening now. Uh, churches are being entered, and because it, in, in uh, uh, anticipation of the end of Roe v. Wade, and there's these pro-aborts that are going into church services and disrupting church services. Uh, this happened down in Texas. It's happening in various places, and yet the decision hasn't actually come down yet. Uh, it remains to be seen what might happen. But what we saw two years ago with the riots across the country and the anarchy, and of course the tearing down of all of our historical statues across the country, uh, this really concerned people of our generation to see was saying what in the world's going on with these young people. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, um, FDR in the prayer that he gave uh, for D Day, he says, "Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization." Now, republic, that's where the people are king, ruling through representatives. It's a bottom-up form of government, not a top-down form of government. Um, our religion. Now, what religion would he be talking about? Okay, well, uh, he passed out Gideon's New Testaments and Book of Psalms to all the soldiers in World War II. I have a copy of one. And um, in the front, it says that, uh, as president, I encourage the, the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the United States. 
So obviously, the religion he's talking about is Judeo-Christian. It's it's the belief. Now he personally was an Episcopalian, but why is this important? Today, these leftists have done this deconstruction so much, they're actually trying to paint the Christian patriots as enemies, as nationalists, as supremacists, and they're trying to uh, make the good guys into the bad guys. Uh, But here's FDR uh, right now. He is a Democrat. He was elected president four times. Uh, after that, they passed the 22nd Amendment, limiting a president to only two terms. But he's like the, the, the patron saint of the Democrat Party. And in 1942, he says, this great war must be carried through. It shall not be imperiled by a handful of noisy traitors, betrayers of America, betrayers of Christianity itself. And then at Madison Square Garden, October 28, 1940, FDR said, we guard against the forces of anti-Christian aggression which may attack us from without, and the forces of ignorance and fear, which may corrupt us from within. November 1st, 1940, FDR said, those forces hate democracy and Christianity as two phases of the same civilization. They oppose democracy because it is Christian. They oppose Christianity because it preaches democracy. And then Labor Day, 1941, he said, preservation of these rights is vitally important now, not only to us who enjoy them, but to the whole future of Christian civilization. And then March 1st, 1945, he said, I saw Sevastopol and Yalta, and I know there is not room enough on earth for both German militarism and Christian decency. And then finally, May 8th of 19, uh, excuse me, May 27th, 1941, um, FDR said, the whole world is divided between pagan brutality and the Christian ideal. We choose human freedom, which is the Christian ideal. So here we have a Democrat president making very Christian, patriotic remarks. That's right. right? So, so he is, uh, but today, uh, a Christian patriot, according to the transgendered left LGBTQ drag queen people, uh, Christians are the enemy of their agenda. We're talking with Bill Fetter of the American Minute. Uh, Bill, I, uh, well, I'm looking at your website, AmericanMinute.com. Folks, you can go there and get uh, the different tapes and books from Bill, uh, Miracles in American History, Volumes 1 and 2, uh, his book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, and that actually present, and it actually has a great parallel of what's happening today. And then, of course, Prayers and Presidents. All these books are available on his website, and then at the bottom of the page, you can subscribe to the free Everyday American Minute in your inbox today in American history, and you won't regret it. It's so good. Uh, and Bill has a really unique way of putting together the connectors of history. And Bill, we just really thank you for all the work that you're doing. We look forward uh, to uh, dedicating the prayer down there in D.C. with you once it's completed. Uh, But we'll be down there with a tour. We're working with you on that in your office uh, to do a tour around Veterans Day with folks, and we'll give them opportunity to sign up for that. And we're calling it the War Memorials Tour, where we'll take a trip around the mall of the World War II Memorial, the Vietnam War Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, the uh, Korean War Memorial, and of course, Arlington Cemetery with our good friend Bill Fetter. We'll get you all the details on that, and that will be coming up. Bill, thanks for being my guest today. 
Well, thank you, Chris. And, and I do acknowledge Chris Long for your tireless efforts in the D-Day Landing Prayer Act. Well, we're happy to serve them, and it's all for their honor for our veterans. Thank you so much, Bill. God bless you, my friend. God bless you and all the listeners. And, and again, uh, go to AmericanMinute.com. If you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at OhioCA.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.